Brotaku Men of Culture Games Weekly, episode 25, recorded July 7th, 2020. It's a Tuesday. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, joined as always by my good pal and co-host, Jordan. Oh. Uh, it's still hot. Still oh. so horribly hot. Uh, yeah, I had to help my my brother move some things yesterday, and just for like 15 minutes, I was out there and I, I was covered in sweat. It was gross. We talk about this all the time. I can deal with the heat, it's the humidity, whatever. We're getting to the point though where it's been so consistently hot for so long now. Like I don't think it would matter. Like it's just even going out to my car in the morning because it's hot in the morning, and going to yeah. my car from work, like to come home. It's just like it saps all my motivation to do anything. Yeah, and I never understood why there's like that dichotomy of like of being in the winter and having so much energy but not being able to go outside. But then like in the summer like it just the sun literally saps the energy out of you when you go outside like just zaps you until there's nothing left. Uh but I just prefer the winter. I do every time. But fall is that easy medium where, like, hey, yeah, I can wear what I want, and it's still pretty nice out. You get that nice breeze. Yeah, and the problem is where we live, like, pretty close to Chicago. Uh, so just for geographical comparison for people, where we live, there's, like, two perfect weeks on either side of the year, and then it's just hot or cold. Yes, I, I love that, and when my... When my when my dad tried to get me to move down to Arizona, I just couldn't do it because, uh, first of all, dodgeball there uh, in recent events, and second of all, I just I told him I said I I'd love winter and fall way too much. You know, I was like, yeah, but it, it gets like fall temperatures here in the winter. I'm like, you don't get it. I actually like snow. Like, I understand, it's annoying like have to scrape your car off and like and it's your shovel and stuff like that but honestly like i think it's worth it i really think it's worth it and, and you you're very interesting because you are the anomaly in my theory i have a theory and based off anecdotally what i've seen on facebook the only people who like snow do not have to shovel it except you you are the only person I've ever met that has to like, that has like seriously had to shovel snow in the past and still likes it. Yeah. It and I also like the dethawing feeling. People think I like being cold, and that's not true. I just like, I first of all, I like the option of being warm, which we also talked about before, and I also like the fact the feeling you get when you're like super cold and you go indoors and like and your thighs just like to stop being like frozen hunks of meat and they start to like <laughs> de-thaws that tingly feeling you get in your legs and you're like ah oh. that i love that feeling so people that think that you're like oh this guy just loves cold weather no i like what cold weather brings i don't necessarily like the stinging of of cold weather but i do prefer to the extra weight that hot air adds okay Anyway, now that we've complained about the weather, as as is the ter- as is becoming the traditional first segment of the show, we're gonna get into some video game news. After all, this is Brotaku Metaculture Games Weekly. Uh, we will start with the news as we have typically been doing. Now we don't have a topic of the week for you this week. We're gonna chat about it towards the end. I think we have the next two weeks covered, 
but we'll chat about it at the end just to kind of give you guys an idea of what's coming up. And we'll end the show, of course, with what you've been playing. We're going to give something away, too. Uh, looks like we got a PS4 game on tap, so listen for what that's going to be. It'll probably be in the middle of the show. But like I said, we will first start Jordan with the news. I feel like that worked out pretty well for pacing last week, so we will continue the trend until we have a reason not to. We will start, as always, as we do with Sony news. Number one, we've already known that PlayStation-exclusive Horizon Zero Dawn would be getting a PC port, but we now know when we can expect the game. This comes from The Next Web's Rachel Kayser. The first installment of Guerrilla's excellent RPG series will come to the PC via Epic Game Store and Steam on August 7th in the form of Horizon Zero Dawn Complete Edition. For $49.99, this will come with the base game and the DLC, The Frozen Wilds. So, Jordan, I want to ask you, do you think that this is Sony testing the waters, or do you... Or do you believe them when they said that this game just made sense for the PC? I personally think Herman Horst, the new like the new head of PlayStation first party exclusives and all that, he came from Gorilla. So I think this personally, like despite what they said, I think they're just doing a test bed to see if PC games like their games will sell on PC and he just chose his company's old like his old company's game as like a, look, I'll do it first kind of thing. It's not even a question whether it'll sell it or not. Like, people tell... We've been telling game developers, hey, if you put it on PC, we're going to play it on PC. Now, do I think... I don't like what I'm about to say, but I agree with what I'm going to say, is I think they did the smart idea of releasing it as an exclusive and then as PC later. Because... That's the way they did for uh, Monster Hunter, and they got it for me, and I know it does. It happens like that a lot. So if you make it an exclusive and then later on make it on a PC, they'll buy the PC one as well. That's just, just the way it is. But if you release them all at the same time, if you release it on PC and, PS, and the PlayStation and Xbox, they're just going to buy it for the PC. So this is smarter this way, and they need to fill up the Epic Game Store a little more than they have. Well, and Steam, I guess. I was about to say, and on Steam, to the point of it selling well, there was a Steam sale going on this week, and this, a full-price game, was at the top of the charts for, like, the whole week. Yeah, so I, I, I can definitely tell. It's... But you did bring up an interesting point. I guess I guess they won't put their games on PC super early, because unlike Xbox, they probably still want to sell PlayStations. So the, it'll obviously come later, but I, I don't know. I just I don't see any reason why that these games shouldn't be coming to PC later on, especially once they've made all the money they're going to make. Like Bloodborne, I don't understand how that's not on PC yet. Yeah, I don't understand that either. It, and not only that, in games that have like online uh, things like that, like the whole PvP system could just be revived and you just get money off that. Uh, I guess. But but then there's the other part where it's like you're not going to be making any money off the online part of the game because like you have to buy like PlayStation Plus and stuff like that in order to play online when you're using a console. But on PC, it's just it's natural unless you like use a Game Pass or something, which I am on record saying I hate with a burning passion. All right, I suppose we will move on then. 
We'll move on to some Microsoft news. Number two, Sony had an excellent PlayStation 5 reveal event last month that left Xbox in a position where they were up to bat, if you will. Well, we now know when they will attempt to hit the ball back into Sony's court. Announced via Xbox-owned Twitter account, we know that the Xbox Games Showcase for July containing what the Xbox first parties are working on will take place on Thursday, July 23rd at 11 a.m. with Jeff Keighley hosting a pre-show starting at 10 a.m. This is big for Xbox. Despite the power behind their machines, they have not had the games to back them up. We will be doing our predictions for the show in the same style that we did our Sony event. I think that will be the topic of the week uh, that week. So what day would that episode be recorded? We would record that episode on the 20th. It would go live on the 21st. Uh, So we'll do that. But let's tease the folks, Jordan. Give me one thing that you think Xbox needs to announce what, what do they give me a, a prediction, if you will? What do they need to announce during this to really God, it's, swing back? I don't, I don't know anymore. They, they would have to release some like, some more Halo Infinite stuff, in my opinion. But, okay, um, so you want to see Halo Infinite, and I, I'm pretty sure they said that's going to be there. They, I mean, if this game really is coming out this year, they have to um, poo or get off the pot. Like it, it's time to show this game. Well, like, they just let all their other franchises die. So when you ask me, like, what do I predict? It's just, they need to revive some of these, honestly. Like, they can't be relying on Gears of War and Halo their entire lives. It, But that's that's just the way it is. Like, PS, the PlayStation just has so many better exclusives that they just kept on going with. And and Xbox, with their, with their split uh, focus, because they have PC as well, because <clears throat> Microsoft, they just... They're, they're dropping the ball on so many of these franchises. I think something that would be amazing is we were talked about it before. If they announce some Fable stuff or something like that, get back an old IP that that didn't do so well because they just they were pretty much left to dry out. So, yeah. oh, all right, well, I guess we won't have to burn too many because that's what I was going to say. I feel like Fable's the obvious one. I think that's the one. If they don't announce Fable, I feel like there's going to be some people showing up in Redmonton, Washington, like ready to flip cars over at Microsoft campus. <laughs> they, they can't waste an opportunity like this. So, All right. Sticking with the Microsoft news, number three, happy Bungie Day, everybody. Apparently 7-7 is their Bungie Day. I don't know how that works, but 7-7 is Bungie Day. I, I wonder if it has something to do. What's the Master Chief's call? Like 7-7-1? I don't know. Don't, don't. Don't crucify me, Halo fans. Anyway, as part of the Bungie Day celebration, Microsoft has announced via their own Twitter that Halo 3 will be coming to the PC version of the Master Chief Collection on July 14th. You can purchase the Master Chief Collection through Steam, the Microsoft Store, or download it through the Xbox Games Pass for PC. This is huge. When you think of Halo, many people think Halo 3. With an excellent campaign and great multiplayer, this is peak Halo in many people's eyes and marks the first time that this specific title will grace the PC Master Race. We talk about this all the time, Jordan, but we really need to play through some of these Halo games. That is, that's that's very true. I, I even lost track of which ones got released. I, I was talking with Derek, and uh, 
and Matt the other day about ah, I really need to play with Aaron again on Halo, and we got to do those those campaigns. And you know what? I think, in my opinion, I wasn't gonna get serious with the online until Halo Three, anyways. I was about to say this Hint. is this is really I feel like I think a couple people like ODST or Reachmore, one of those two, but it's like Halo Three, man. That was that was when the Halo craze was at its highest, in my opinion. That's when I got into it. I didn't buy an Xbox original until I started playing Halo 3. Yeah, I remember we got the Xbox 360 for Christmas. It was a family gift, and my sister got Viva Pinata, and I got Halo 3 with it. Like <laughs> That is what it was about. And I, su- I suppose it was the first Halo on, like, specifically for 360. So, makes sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it. It'll be good to see. I remember, gosh, so like... I don't know what it was, but like back in the day, Halo Man, like I would play the multiplayer with just me and Matt Slade would play it for like hours on end, and we'd just be doing one v ones. And half the time, we weren't even like fighting each other. Like there was this desert map with this giant elephant thing that like you could flip it, and then like if you like you could get it flipped over, and then you would go up to hit X or whatever it was to flip it back over, and it'd be like, "How did you manage to do this?" And you'd flip it over. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think it was called Relic, I believe, the the map. But uh, I don't remember. That that was a map I played on a lot, the desert one. That one was really fun. Yeah, there's a bunch of good maps. I mean, that could almost be a topic of the week in and of itself. Maybe once we get a little Master Chief collection under our belts, we can do that. So we after, might just want to talk about like, like ma- shooter uh, maps in general because oh, there's man. a lot of overwatch maps i like to talk about too okay we we can maybe we can slot that into that the last week of july the 20 the short the show we would record on the 27th perfect but see this is, this is how the sausage is made folks right on the fly uh yeah. anyway after this halo 4 is the last one for master chief mm-hmm. collection that they need to do do you think they do halo 5 for pc like it would make sense for me to me i think it would be a dual release yeah if they want to make the most money off of it oh yeah they'll sell it again it won't be part of the master chief collection but once they get halo 4 done which is part of the master chief collection the last game that they need to put on pc is halo 5 and i wonder if they do try to do that before infinite comes out you know yeah yeah i i think it would be interesting if either halo infinite or halo 5 you get benefits from like having the other game data because that'd be really cool that'd be that'd be the ultimate like lead up since like end game or infinity war like just like we were playing through all these campaigns again that we used to when we were children and then we actually get stuff for it like later on that'd be really cool right on let's get let's get a little sad with our news here for a little bit jordan number four is the price of video games about to go up with the next console generation? Oh. If 2K has anything to say about it, the answer is yes. According to an article on The Verge by Chaim Gattenberg, 2K has announced that NBA 2K21 Standard Edition for the PS5 and Xbox Series X will cost $69.99, US, which is a $10 increase over what games have cost the past two console generations. So I'm personally torn over this. I understand that games are harder to make and take more people to make than ever before. So I understand that angle. However, I hate the fact that, let's be real here, Jordan, they are going to 
charge us 10 extra dollars and still litter these games with BS microtransactions. They're going to find out really quick. They're not going to be able to sustain themselves with this. They're going to sell less copies with this than they would if they uh, if they had it at the original price. I mean, like I think 40 is awesome. 60 is like I maybe get a couple of those a year. But if a game's like $70, I'm I I don't know how I well, I know how I feel about that. I think it's bullcrap, but I I don't think they can I don't think it's sustaining if they they put that number down. Because if you think about it, this is gaming isn't a like a bourgeoisie sort of like platform. You have people of all classes playing the uh, playing video games, so you're really going to be alienating the ones that can't afford it. And even to the point where it's like people are going to be thinking to themselves, "Well, I can afford the PS5, but can I buy games for it?" And the, the answer is probably going to be no. So because who would just buy a PS5 for like one game? And then they have to wait like another like three or four months until they can get another one, because that's more than buying one of those games is more than my uh, it's more than my electric and my gas, not electric, uh, water and gas put together, not water and gas, electric and gas, yeah. So, I do I pay my bills or do I buy a video game? Now the now it's a little shakier. Right, and I guess what kind of baffles my mind is the push towards digital. I mean, you're cutting out the needs for trucks, all this plastic and stuff. It's like, I would love to see, like, if you want to charge this, like, whatever. I Again, like I said, I understand games are more expensive to make more now than ever. Unfortunately, they'd probably have rather less people buying it for a higher price. I guess there's like there's gonna be they're gonna have to like find a middle ground there because I guess if you're selling so many less copies it won't make up but like if you're selling like just a few less copies for ten dollars more it would probably even out I don't know but anyway where I'm going with this where was I going with this I don't know oh no um I would love to see like if they want to charge sixty nine ninety nine for the physical version why can't they still just charge fifty nine ninety nine for the digital version. When you consider how much price it cuts out, cuts out all the middlemen, all, like like I said, the plastic packaging, trucks, airplanes, boats, the stores, it cuts all that stuff out. Like, why are you going to push me towards the digital future and charge me more for it? Yeah, it, you already can tell, like, we talk about PC Masteries, but I haven't bought a full-priced game in a very long time because of it. Like, they always had the sales going because they can afford that sort of stuff and still make money off of it. And I gotta say, like, I I just, I, I don't know. It, it's really alienating a lot of people, in my opinion. Like, I know what you mean. Like, it you're right. It should, it should, uh, it shouldn't be this high for, like, the digital push. But, oh, I was gonna say something. I'm losing my train of thought, too. Uh, oh yeah, we're also paying more and and we're getting noticeably less game as well. Absolutely. Like, like just back in the day, like spending an entirety of like Legend of Zelda, uh, Ocarina of Time on this little cartridge, even though it looked like polygons. Like, how much of the game were we sacrificing for production value at that point? I think and Zelda then, might be a bad example though. 
when you look at Breath of the Wild. It's true. I mean, but even Breath of the Wild was like made on the Switch, like which just doesn't measure up. It, it's close now. They're getting pretty close to the amount of production, uh, as like PS5 and Xbox Series X oh, or uh, PS4 and Xbox uh, One. But I, I don't know. I just I notice it every time too, and we outrage about it for a little bit. We kind of shame them into like releasing more stuff. But the truth of the matter is, you have some video game companies. I'll use Monster Hunter World for example because I had the most experience with that. They release free updates and more content for a game they they already sold constantly, and then you have games that milk you. Uh, let's use a, a, a fake game company. Let's just say EA uh, and have them milk <laughs> you for every single piece of of cash that you have for the smallest things. It, it, and like, let's use another one like Bethesda. Uh, just milking you for all these small little $5 for a skin. Like, come on. Microsoft's okay. honestly pretty bad at it too. Like, when yeah. you consider... And, and that's what's funny about it. Like, Nintendo and Sony, they really don't, in their first-party games, have microtransactions because they want they want these awesome games to sell their consoles. Microsoft, for whatever reason, well, I, I know the reason. that They want money. They're, they're just so greedy. They're like, we want both. So, like, you look at even, like, their great games. Like, you look at, like, Sea of Thieves, which is a ton of fun. Microtransactions, they're in the game. Yeah. And if they're optional, it's fine. It's okay. It's, it's whatever. Maybe I'll save up and I'll buy it. I don't know. But I I will feel a lot less for, like... I'll feel a lot less guilty if I buy, like, a, a cosmetic upgrade in a game for, like, two bucks. Which I could just, like... I, I've been using the Steam Marketplace a little more to sell that sort of stuff for money. Uh, and I'll just... I'll, I'll get it with that. And it's really cool to have that little thing. Like, I buy, like, Don't Starve Together skins by, like, selling my other stuff my digital items on uh on the steam marketplace and i feel really good about that but when you charge me like five ten dollars for something that i'm not going to be using in my in my actual life like i start to pause a little bit at those things gaming's getting really expensive even the optional parts are starting to seem a little less optional uh with some of these games and if you just jack the price up to 70 dollars, i'm probably not going to buy it i'm going to be like I know a couple of people now that look at 2K21 and they're going to see the $70 price tag and they're going to think, I'll just play 2K20. Or how about this? Both the PS5 and Xbox Series X are backwards compatible. Just buy the Xbox One or PS4 version. <laughs> yeah, yeah I w- I'd, I'd love that. Because odds are, especially those first year, like those cross-generational um games that come out that first year i mean it's not like this ps5 version or xbox series x version is going to be that big of a difference over the old one yeah no like we talked about it on the show before as well like for future of gaming and stuff like that there's only so there's only so much you can go up to before you hit like reality and like graphics where they start to meet like in the middle we already saw in the like the Last of Us Part Two looks like uh, incredible. So like, can you imagine like graphics getting better than that? Like, uh, my, would you I'm even a, want that? I'm gonna need a PS5 because um, every time I turn on the Last of Us Part Two, my PS4, my launch day PS4, old school, sounds like a. D- <laughs> <laughs>
jet engine about to take off. <laughs> but you can you can get an upgrade on that too, and it's not like you jack up the price of the game at all. Like, I I don't I it's it's too much. Anyway, number five, we'll keep it gloom and doom, Jordan. Um, as I put, uh, as gloom and doom as loot box. The loot box futures seems our friends across the pond in Great Britain are making great progress towards these predatory game systems, labeling them as they are. Gambling. I don't know what accent that was. It kind of started like British and then turned so kind of Australian. And I'm sorry. I apologize. The crocodile. I did not mean to offend anybody. <laughs> anyway, this comes directly from the BBC that reports that the House of the Lords Gambling Committee have come forward and said that loot boxes and video games should be regulated under gambling laws. Quote, if a product looks like gambling and feels like gambling, it should be regulated by as gambling. End quote, the report says. And I could not agree more with them. There's nothing inherently wrong with spending money on loot boxes. However, um, the problem with these loot boxes reside in our, I guess, the, the main issue for me is the fact that these loot boxes reside in games that are often marketed towards younger people who often have developing minds. Exploiting the young and exploiting people, like even adults with gambling issues, is just wrong. I, I mean, I, hot take, Jordan, I think gambling should just be illegal. Like, period. I don't, I don't agree with gambling, that, but that's a whole bigger topic. Anyway, if you want an insight into how loot boxes have negatively affected adults, as I said, Jim Sterling has a great video that showcases, admittedly, the extremes of how people with, like, gambling addictions, like, people with gambling addictions have, Jim Sterling, he told their stories, like, there's people that have turned to video games to, like, help distract them from gambling addictions in the past, and then their gambling addiction followed them into video games. God. Yeah, I... Uh, we... I have the opinion that gambling, as long as it's heavily regulated, is fine. But it needs to have a lot of safeguards, and it needs to be... It's, it's sort of like... It's sort of like drinking. Like alcohol. Like... It shouldn't be illegal, but there needs to be heavy restrictions and also heavy penalties. Like, we can't just have... When you think of, like, a gambling hall, like, in your mind, you think of the ones in movies that are, like, with shady backgrounds and owned by, like, the mafia and stuff like that. And you start to think, like, these are supposed to, like... This is supposed to boost economy. Like, it's supposed to be a revenue, and then that that revenue is supposed to be put back into into the community in other ways but it just it becomes stagnant i was about to say and um, i guess i i guess maybe a little bit to the point you're making there like i understand yes people who are again i'll use healthy for the lack of better word maybe they should probably be allowed to do this in some sort i just don't like that a, the economy boosting the economy this is for the economy is the argument that is made a lot of times with these when a lot of the money being made are, like, preying off people that have issues with gambling, addictive personalities, things like that. Yeah, because it's... I have fun when I play, like, card games, and I, I have fun, too, when I play it for, like, pocket change and stuff like that. But when it gets to the point where, like, you're selling your house or you're doing all this other stuff just to get that last big payout, that's an issue. But 
if it's just if it's just a little bit like say you had all your house expenses taken care of you have your living expenses taken care of uh you save you put aside your your money that you need to save for the month or whatever and then you had this little bit left after you've like went out to eat and stuff like that yeah you have like let's say you got 60 bucks left over uh it, it might be a fun way to pass the time like it, it's it's fun you're doing it for like entertainment and there's a there's a chance of a payback it feels really good when you win but it needs to never go above that it also feels really bad when timmy can't eat tonight because daddy put that last 60 dollars into a slot That's machine what I'm saying. Of saving I'm money saying after your savings after your expenses after all of that is said and done and you got a little bit extra it's entertainment at that point it's daddy, not a problem daddy why do we sleep outside I had to get the mercy skin, boy. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't. One last loot box. Uh, I mean, I've been down that rabbit hole, so I think we all have. If you've played video games, you've experienced. You have been victimized by loot boxes in the past. So, so we don't. The people listening to this, we don't need to explain to them that it's it's pretty insane. But it could be fun, like. <laughs> I'm on both sides, honestly, because sometimes when I play like League of Legends, back in the day, they did this like random loot box thing where you just send someone like a loot box and it's random. It has a random skin for any champion that they own. And that was an easy way of buying people like Christmas presents and stuff like that, because even if it sucked, even if they got something that they didn't want, it was still kind of funny. It was still pretty fun. All I, I, right. It's a problem, but. It, yeah, it it shouldn't be a problem. I was about to say, I feel like the over, like overall gambling probably a bigger topic for much smarter people than us. But I definitely do think that loot boxes need to be considered gambling because they are. They are a hundred percent. They are. All right, number six, Jordan. Time for the MMO corner. Last three news items will be all MMO related. Yeah. According to a blue post over on the Blizzard forums, World of Warcraft's lowest populated servers will soon be receiving server merges. Cavix took to the forums to let players know that Blizzard has completed a comprehensive study of realm population, and over the next two to three months, connections will be made to low population realms. They said that they will give notice in advance of each week's connections, and that they will take place during that week's maintenance. Awesome. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, when you get a game that blooms to 12 million people at its peak and has just slowly been dying since... Like you're gonna have to do this occasionally just to make sure everybody can do it. Cause I don't think I don't think they're gonna get rid of your realm. I think they're just gonna like the battle groupings or whatever they yeah. are. I think they're just gonna add you onto that. Yeah, I, I actually, I, I I prefer when when uh people do this and uh, when companies do this instead of just deleting servers. I wish they just merge them. Uh, even if you just put them all on one server and just give them their. Uh, and keep them separate, whatever. That's fine. But when you, I love being on a high population server. It just feels great. Honestly, at this point, with the way they phase the game and all that, I don't know why everything isn't just connected. Because it's kind of annoying that like, oh, I'm on this realm, and if you're on one of these six realms that are connected to my realm, we can play together. I can trade with you. We can be in the same guild. Whatever. However, if you're like on these six servers, we can, we can play together, but we can't trade and we can't be in a guild. Like at this point, the way the game's set up, why can't 
just connect everything. I mean, do you really... Can you tell me right now all the servers Firestone's connected to? Because I can't. No. <laughs> I can just tell you I think it's on Firetree. Yeah, like, yeah. That's, that's probably it. Uh, that's more than I know because I don't I don't know. Like, I don't pay attention to what server people are because on. We're because we're all just together. We can interact with them. We're together. Like. And it, I was about to say, it just doesn't matter. You see people from completely different servers anyway. So it's like... I can't tell which of those servers that I'm seeing people from are in my battle group or if they were invited. You just can't tell. Like, I don't understand the restrictions at this point, I guess. Like, just throw us all together. <laughs> it's true. I think Knights of the Old and uh, not the Knights of the Old Star Wars The Old Republic only has, like, three servers. And they're heavily populated because there's only three servers. Like, you go into, like, your faction's, like, state, like, main station. And it's... It is pop like people are there's like role players in the cantina. There's like people on the auction houses filling that place up and there's people like just spawning in that the whole place is loaded with people and it feels good. It feels like what Stormwind and Order Mars should feel like. It should feel like they're not just congregated in one area. We should have a little bit of everything. We should have role players in Goldshire doing what they do. We should have people in the auction houses in the storm wind selling things and, and turning a profit and we should have people in you know the pvp area or people testing their damage on the training dummies like segregating different types of play in world of warcraft makes it so that you won't experience the other half if you choose the wrong server so like if you choose a normal server on world of warcraft you'll never get serious about pvp and you won't know how fun role playing is in that game. So, but but if you had them all in one, you know, which I guess you would just call it the. I try to find RP PvP servers because it gives me a little bit of both, and I think, at its peak, our role playing, player versus player servers, in a game like World of Warcraft is probably the best experience you're gonna get in World of Warcraft. Because you get what the game's all about, like all in one. But then you just have the regulars, and that's fine. But I don't think you should segregate them. I think you should have those people say, you know, the, across a lunch table, you're like, oh, those weirdos, <laughs> and or or you'll be one of those people that's like, that's really cool. I want to join those guys. I agree. Let's move on. Number seven, sticking with World of Warcraft news, Blizzard has announced that WoW Classic will be entering Phase 5 on July 28th. Phase 5 will introduce the Encourage War effort, which will lead to the ringing of the gong and the opening of AQ, or Encourage's, 20-man and 40-man raids. Also in Phase 5 is the Dungeon Loot Reconfiguration, which, among other things, will add the Tier Point Z questline or the dungeon 2 questline and relics to the loot tables it will be interesting to see how the servers hold up uh so for those that don't know the encourage war event and i'm actually really excited to play because this is when i got into wow like this was what was going on in the game when i started playing on my own account for the first time um yeah so the encourage war effort basically it's this huge server-wide collection and you're turning in like linen cloth you're turning in like lean lean wolf meat you know you got to turn in the horde needs lean wolf yeah. steaks jordan everyone can participate um yeah everybody can participate and you're all turning in i'm going to be interested to see how long this lasts considering everybody's had time to like gather loot up but yeah. um 
Anyway, everybody turns in this stuff, and then they all pack into Silithus because raiders have to do this crazy, absolutely crazy quest line. You've got to look it up. It's too crazy to talk about here. Um, but anyway, it ends with them building the scepter, which they can use to ring a gong. So everybody floods into Silithus to watch the ringing of this gong. Anyway, why I walked to everybody flooding in to, to ring the gong, um, it will be interesting to see how the servers hold up and if phasing will be needed after all. Blizzard, of course, famously told players that once phasing was turned off, it would never be turned back on, only to turn it back on when the lockdown started in real life and complaints of queues began to return. Yeah. So yeah, like I said, I'm very excited about this because this is, I mean, this is wow for me. Like, this is where it started. I remember logging in and seeing like i remember the day my server opened aq like i was down there in silithus and it was absolutely bat crazy <laughs> yeah I, if you look at any like experienced gamers like top 10 like most incredible gaming moments in history the ringing of the bell in Ankarad, like in silithus is always some part of that top 10 yeah. Like it's it's an experience, and if you're not there for it, like you're gonna miss it. And like, I, it's not one of those things you can re-simulate. Well, unless you create an entirely new video game, which is World of Warcraft Classic. And I, I literally cannot, I can't undersell it because like the whole server has to work together to do this stuff. And then please, like if you are interested in WoW at all and haven't looked at it before, look up what it takes to build this mallet for this gong. It is insane. Like, the fact that anybody did it and the fact that people will do it again is nuts. Because it takes, not only does it take hours of farming, it takes hours of other people farming for you. Yeah. Helping out at certain points. Like, it's crazy. It's an effort. Um, I think we talked about this the last time we really talked about WoW Classic Jordan. But I really want to get a group of five people together and go through the dungeons in WoW Classic. And yeah, I, yeah, like, I'd be I'd be excited too. The only thing that puts me off is like the whole threat meter thing, and I have to get used to that. Well, that would just but, be the thing. Like, we'd make sure we have somebody. We'd make sure we have somebody good tanking and somebody good healing. Because if we have somebody good tanking, they'll know that they can just put on a two our two one handed weapons and build a lot more threat. And then if we have somebody good healing, then like we won't have to worry about that person dying because they're not using a shield. Oh, interesting. Well, I'd be interested again. Like. I, Money's a little weird right now, so like I probably have to cancel a couple of things so I can get a wild uh, subscription going. Oh, again, we, we can always wait a little bit, but I, I just I want to like you know like one week be like okay, be level twelve by just like example by July thirteenth, so we can run RFC kind of thing, you know, and then be twenty by the twentieth, so we can run uh, Wailing Caverns, that kind of thing. Because yeah. I like I I don't need to raid in this game, but I want to do some of these end game five mans with my friends. Again, this dungeon, this actually this tier set quest is actually going to be really awesome because I feel like that would be a good thing to work towards just for fun. Because I think the biggest thing you have to do for that is you have to do ubers, so a ten man that's pretty easy. Anyway, let's round out the news. Jordan number eight. 
Final Fantasy XIV's patch 5.3, Reflections in Crystal, has finally received a release date after being long delayed by stay-at-home orders in Japan. According to Game Rant's Mina Smith, the patch will go live on August 11th. Nokai Yoshida, producer and director of the game, has apologized for the delay and promised a return to normal patching cadence starting with the release of 5.3. I know this was supposed to come back out in May, I believe, so it's been delayed quite a bit. Um, I don't know what's in the patch, but I've enjoyed Final Fantasy XIV, and I know we have some friends who listen to the podcast that play Final Fantasy XIV, so they might be interested in knowing this. I mean, I'm interested. Like, I have a character that's higher level. Yeah, I'm 54 or something. I was. I'm. God, I'm around I, that level, actually. I, I'm in that. <laughs> I'm in the slog between the base game and a Realm Reborn right now. Like, man, that is that is yeah. rough. Rough going. Yeah. I'm in the same zone. I actually stopped because I ran out of like quests to do to like level up to to do the next part of the story. Like, I it was at the point where I just had to do like fates. In order to raise my level. Okay, so you're probably at like 46, 47 right in there. There's a little stretch there between that and 49 where you do the raids that are like... The raids themselves take like five minutes, but they have like an hour and a half of unskippable cutscenes. I think... I think I was, yeah, I think I was in, like, upper 40s, actually. Like, I was really close to getting the next part of the story, and I was like, oh, I just need to get this far, and then I can do this, but... I, I want to revisit it. I, I have a lot of fun with that game, especially playing a Dragoon. Like, playing a Dragoon's awesome. Yeah, it's a really good game. I, I definitely think... I mean, I, like, I hope Shadowlands is good, but, like, as of right now, I think this is the best modern MMO on the market. Yeah, I, I'll agree. I, even when the game first released, like, Seth and I would talk about it, and we would say, like, if World of Warcraft didn't have the seniority... And, like, the history that it has, like, Final Fantasy, I would just go ahead and say Final Fantasy was was a better MMO even back then, but, uh, because the class system was a lot different back in the day, too, but it's, I know Seth doesn't like the whole, like, global cooldown sort of mechanic to it, but I was like... That is rough starting. Every, it is. You don't have as many abilities. But, so I mean, that. by the time you're level... Even at level 54 or whatever I'm at now, like I have enough buttons to push that are off the cooldown that it's not really that big of a deal. I was just about to say that. When I became a Dragoon, I got this leap ability I can use in between my cooldowns. And it fits. It feels perfect Like when I get the combo off. Like a stab, launch, stab, big stab. Like It feels really good. <laughs> and it looks... And the game itself looks beautiful. In fact, now that I have my new computer system, I should probably... like. I think I might install it again and give it another look to see how, like how good that, that that can get. Because there was no, there was never a reason to stop playing in my opinion. But like I said, I hit a, a patch and then I got, I got bored with everything else that I was doing. So, it, it was just a bad time. Nah, I get you one hundred percent. Okay, Jordan, if you wanted to email us any questions comments concerns topic ideas whatever you want to talk about where could you do that you can find us at brotaku moc at gmail.com that is b-r-o-t-a-k-u-m-o-c at g-m-a-i-l dot c-o-m jordan we are going to do a giveaway this week 
we are going to, courtesy of our good friend Mike Tapainer, who was on the Dungeons & Dragons episode, we are going to be giving away Ratchet & Clank for the PS4. That is the Insomniac reboot Ratchet & Clank game that was excellent. I should note that it is used. Um, but anyway, Ratchet & Clank for the PS4. You can follow us on Facebook at Brotaku Men of Culture to figure out how to win that. Jordan, let's wrap up this week with a little bit of what have you been playing, my friend? We will start with you. I've been playing an aggressive amount of Monster Hunter again. You're back. Of, uh, You're back on board 100%. Yeah, they're releasing a new monster. And like I was saying, I can never praise a franchise more than the amount of free updates and content I get from from Capcom for this sort of thing. But with like crossover events that are really cool, like there was a crossover event that was like uh, when Resident Evil 2 Remake was released, you got uh, a crossover event in Monster Hunter where you played, where you fought against a monster that would like it releases like this this toxic gas and stuff like that when you fight it. And it usually it inflicts a blight on you, which decreases your maximum health. Uh, but this time it turns you into a zombie. And when you turn into a zombie, all these cool things happen to you. So you fight this monster as a zombie or as a human that you can cure yourself with when you find green and red herbs around the area. And you can mix them together just like you can in the video game to create something more powerful. Uh, and then if you do this quest enough, you can unlock uh, these two armor sets, which are like it, it's Leon and it's, uh, and it's Claire. And they do cool stuff like that all the time. Like that's why I'm excited that the uh, Horizon Zero Dawn series is coming over because we'll probably get the Alloy uh, Horizon Zero Dawn quest crossover that they had in the game originally. Uh, so you can you can play Monster Hunter World Iceborne and have a pretty wacky uh, hunting team available. You can you can have the potential to have Ryu from Street Fighter, uh, Fighter, Geralt from The Witcher. Uh, you can have Dante from Devil May Cry, and you can have Alloy from Horizon Zero Dawn all in the same party fighting Jordan, the same I, monster. I'm so, so sick of these Marvel kids saying they have the most ambitious crossover in history. They've never played. Listen, listen to what you just told me. Play it <laughs> yeah. back. Play it back. So yeah, you have you have Ryu. You could be Sakura as well from Street Fighter, like those two characters. You can be Geralt. You can be Siri from witcher you can be uh you can be dante from devil may cry you can you can be alloy uh you can be uh the main character from the assassin's creed origin game he's in that as well or you can be Ezio. there's a there's a mantle which makes you wear his outfit uh it, there's it, capcom puts everything they can into this game <laughs> Even if it's not even like exactly from their franchise, they just stuff it in. They're like, "Hey, you want to do a crossover with this?" And they're like, "Heck yeah, we do!" So it it's actually incredible how wacky you can get with the amount of characters, and it's layered armor too. Eventually, like you could just put the stuff on. You don't even have to like worry about the stats and stuff. Claire and Leon from Resident Evil, like getting all these neat little things, and they're all free updates too that you get. It's just little fun things that they add in for like some flavor. So I think I'm missing a couple of two of some of the crossovers that they did. But the crossover they did with the um, 
with the Witcher franchise is really cool because, oh yeah, and also Final Fantasy, we got to wear Dragoon armor and fight Behemoth, which was the most difficult quest in the game when it released because it put in uh, RPG MMO elements with like holding threat and having a healer and things like that. Oh, that's and awesome. And that was incre- that was incredible. Like it was so fun playing. It was like um, you fought Behemoth, which is this huge bulking monster, and he would cast spells. So he would he would call cast something called Charybdis, which summons like a huge tornado on the field, which would be permanent if you don't interrupt it. The way you interrupt it is you have to shoot like a flash pod in front of his face, and that would cause the interrupt. And he had a mechanic where he would shoot comets on the ground, and then he would it would cause like a rock to be in the earth like as like uh, an obstacle and he can break these but you want to keep him away from them because he casts his, he casts an ability called ecliptic meteor every once in a while which is an instant kill on you if you get hit by it unless you go behind one of these rocks so it's it's an actual like raid mechanic that you had to do to fight this thing and it was so popular and it was so fun that they they kept it like the same element of like holding threat and stuff, which is like if you have a shield, like you're, and if you hit the head, he'll focus you on attacks and stuff like that. So the rest of your party can focus on damage and I, healing. I like that. That that's always been my issue with these games. It's just like you're set, like especially when you're playing with other people, like you're setting up this big combo, and then the thing like just turns and knocks you down. It's like wow, that was fun. Yeah, that <laughs> happens a lot in Monster Hunter. Trust me. Uh, it it they've released a monster called Safi Jiva which kind of held the same elements of that kind of fight where like it, he will focus on whoever is like either doing the most damage or or if they have a shield and they're attacking the head they'll focus you um, and you can have a healer on the side which is very recommended because this thing does a lot of damage and if someone's like caught in a really bad situation you want to heal them up so they don't die because there's a limit of how many times you can die in the game uh, you Usually, you can only die about three times on a quest before you your entire group fails it. So there's there's a possibility of like that ecliptic meteor. If you don't, you know you you raid wipe if you don't do it correctly. So those crossovers are really cool. And like you have to fight a you have to fight a what's it called uh, a like a a lesion. Yes, you have to fight a lesion from the Witcher series as Geralt and Siri, and you. You play as Geralt running around using, like, the Ignis ability to, like, blow fire and stuff like that. But you talk to the NPCs of Monster Hunter and like you would in the Witcher series. And, like, you ask them questions about what's going on and stuff like that. And they describe your main character as, like, your main character is so awesome that they're preventing any other monster from coming into the area while Geralt's investigating the ancient forest. So that's they're like, oh, your your hunter friends like really really good, like they're they're keeping this area safe while I investigate. They're like, yeah, they're pretty cool. Uh, so that was a really fun quest too, where it's like, the more things you unlock during the quest, like the more you do when you talk around and ask questions and stuff, the more rewards you get at the end of the quest. So there was one where like there's a puke puke monster, which is just this big green like derpy monster that's wrapped up in in vines what did you call me yeah pookie pookie (laughs) uh if you release him from the vines uh he will join you at the end of the quest to fight the monster 
and which never happens in the Monster Hunter series. So if you keep him alive by like healing him when he gets hurt and stuff like that, uh, he gives you an amazing reward at the end of the at the end of the quest at like the cutscenes and stuff like that. So, but when I say I put about twelve hundred hours into Monster Hunter World, there was a lot of stuff to do because they just gave you so much free stuff. It's amazing, and now they're releasing a new monster that we're gonna have a lot of fun playing with. And they release like festivals and stuff that you get. Or you just get a bunch of free stuff if just for logging in. It's incredible. Yeah, I, I, I believe I have it installed. I'm going to pull up my Steam and check real quick. The issue I have, and we've talked about this before in the past when you bring this up, is like, and we've talked about how the games do it differently. Like, you are still spending the same amount of time ultimately, but like they do it differently. I prefer, like, every time I think, hey, I'm going to go try monster hunter world which i do have installed um every time i think hey i'm gonna go try it i'm just like man i could just play dauntless and i like that i can just jump into the fights a little quicker in that game but might be about time i I need to i at least need to like get a character to the point where i can play with you so that way i can see the end game stuff you know yeah there's i i always recommend dauntless to people that just want to like fight things but i know seth was like that originally but he also grew to love like the um the the planning aspect of it too which is like a hunt may take about 10 to 15 minutes if you're really good but it only takes 10 to 15 minutes because you you put about 10 minutes in of like planning like okay this guy does fire damage so i want to put fire resistance gear on and i also want to be doing the most damage he also has a move that one hits me if I don't have three ranks of health boost in my armor, blah, blah, blah. So there's a lot of customization options, which I was always a fan of. Because I love being prepared for things and then just wiping things out really easily. But if you just like the mechanics and like and like avoiding stuff and damage, it may just come down to like... And it becomes that quickly once you get your own like armor set that you use for everything. Like I have an armor set where it's like... Oh, well, I just, if I just unga boonga and I just do a bunch of damage, I really don't have to worry about this. So I'm just going to use the old set that I have that just is straight up damage, and I just get good. Uh, so I could just, like, go into a quest, eat in the quest, and then go out and do it, and then do it over again as soon as I'm done. But it, it, it takes a while to get to that point. And if you're not into it, then, and you just want to, like, beat monsters up, and then progressively get uh, quicker and just jump into a quest. It, it might not be for you, you know. It's all about it. It it's better as a sense of progression. If if you're into Monster Hunter World, you you'll enjoy it more if you like. You can feel yourself get stronger because your character innately is just a human being, and he gets strong, and he or she gets stronger by putting on armor pieces and better weapons. Because if you take them all off, that the progress is gone. Like, you're the same that you were when you first started the game. But when you put the armor pieces on, where you, you progressively get better, that's where the power creep starts to come in. Gotcha. Uh, any other games, Jordan? Or has that been your primary focus this week? It's been my primary focus this week. Yeah, I, I actually haven't really played any other games. I still am going to get back to Persona, because I'm getting to that point in monster hunter where like i don't need to do anything like i played so much that i'm just waiting for the next monster to come out tomorrow 
Okay. Uh, and then I'm good. We'll, we'll talk about that with one of my games. I'm appreciating more and more games that games that want me to come back to them, but are cool if I leave them. And I'll explain that more when I get there. Uh, we'll start though first. I've been playing more Dragon Quest Eleven. So the last time we talked, I had just gone to the bottom of the sea and told the Mermaid Queen that um, people were dying that she is in charge of and that uh, I need some special stuff from her that allows me to sink my boat underwater and stuff safely without killing everybody on board. So I got that from the Mermaid Lady, right? And I, I, I'm being horribly vague here because the names in this game are ridiculous and I don't remember half of them. Yeah. It, like, Not it's, only is it Japanese, but it's also it's yeah. also fantasy. So. Like, like there, there was, I fought this monster that was a pig with a witch hat, and it was like called a a, a ham witch. And I was just like, please stop, <laughs> please stop. So anyway, where I'm going with this, um, went to the mermaid lady. So then we went to this town that had a mural that had a demon monster living inside of it that was kidnapping people into the mural. So I had to go stop the mural, and we got out of the mural, and I got this key, which is letting me unlock extra doors now. So I went to this other town that was frozen by another witch. Like, it was a, it's a snow town, but it got completely frozen by a witch, so I had to whoop this witch's butt and unfreeze the town. And, and like I said, this all sounds crazy, and it's all building towards, like, this is all side stuff with one story, but what I love about this, kind of to give a more, more coherent point is last week we were talking about how the world feels so alive because you can see everything. But what I'm realizing is another thing this game is doing that makes the world feel alive to me is that everywhere you go in the world, they have their own problems going on. And I think that makes the world feel bigger than just like, Oh my gosh, the world's ending. Like I always liken it to when I was playing ESO, there was like, the world was ending essentially in this in this zone, but in this one section of the zone, you were working with slaves, and they didn't know that the world was ending because all they cared about was not being slaves. Like it's just little stuff like that that makes the world feel bigger, more alive. Like there's different problems going on. But what I also love about Dragon Quest Eleven is although it has those issues, there's just enough strings that are pulling it towards where you're going. I mean, you don't have to be. You you said you were being vague, and like to forgive you for that. But the game's called Dragon Quest, so uh, that's that's a pretty vague. Uh, well, I was just saying when I was explaining <laughs> what I was doing, like I was being very like like. No, the, the, I can imagine if you haven't played this game, you're probably sitting here like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> no, I I've played games like that. Like I the the best I can because I watched a little bit of Dragon Quest Eleven being played on like Twitch and stuff like that. Uh, just when it was up, I, I believe that there was a there was a Smash Brothers player that was playing it, and I was watching it. I think it's Larry Lur, uh, and it it gave me a very Tales of Symphonia vibe. Which, if people don't know, I I think I've said it on this show before. It's my favorite RPG of all time, uh, besides I guess Persona, if you count that. But I'm t this is from like the GameCube. Like this was like the original. This came with two discs kind of thing. It's like you go halfway through the game. You're like, please put in this too. Uh, it. I know exactly how you feel because you get that world-ending vibe. Like your character goes on a main journey. I. 
the thing I loved most about that game was the fact that like you weren't the chosen one, like you were the friend of the chosen one, and you were trying to like protect them and deliver them so they can like save the world. Uh, that's the first part of the of the game. Uh, and when as you're going around like trying to go to these altars and pray at them and and you know unlock whatever you need to like send the chosen one to, people are still experiencing hardship, like that you have to go around and it's not like these fetch quests and things like that it's uh, the main character put it the best way like how am i supposed to save the world when i can't even save the people in front of me like he went around and he knows that there's a main big quest and some of his party members would remind him of that they were like hey look we don't have all the time in the world we can't just stop around and shave it save any other schmuck and then he's he pops back with if i don't shave every if i don't save every schmuck that i meet like, what's the point of saving the world when they're not going to be in it if we don't help them right now? So that that's the feeling I get. So when you tell me those wild things, I, I, I could follow just for perfectly <laughs> fine because they don't care about that stuff. They care about their day-to-day -day lives and what's affecting them at that point. So when they say like, hey, oh, there's, there's bandits... There's bandits raiding my farm. And you're like, well, we got to go save the world. And there's like, well, if you save the world, my farm's still going to be raided by bandits. Right. <laughs> so I don't care about that. Like it doesn't my life's going to be ruined no matter what unless you help me. So that I always love when they do things like that. It it it's it puts a more personal spin on it. And even more so at the end of the game when they're like when you meet those characters again they're like, "Oh yeah, my farm's doing really well. Thank you. You you saved me." And they they help you out later for you taking the time like, "Here, like you can stay at my farm if you'd like. We owe you a lot." or something like that. It makes you feel good about things that you've done. Yeah, that's just been my biggest takeaway with this game. Like overall, it's a pretty it's a pretty standard turn-based game. Story's pretty basic. It's just the the sense of world. Like I just feel like I'm living in a world when I play that game, and I've learned more and more just these past couple of years that that's what I like in games. Like I I either want my games to be fun or I just want them to completely immerse me, you know? Like, yes. That's how I want it. That's uh, two roles. <laughs> So I've been still picking through The Last of Us Part 2. Jordan, I think I want to start not necessarily straight spoiling everything, but I think I need to, for the sake of, since I'm playing through it so slowly, for the sake of actually having something to say, I think I need to start spoiling a bit of it, if that's okay with you. That's fine. Okay, so I've hit this point in the game. I'm not at the midway point yet. I still don't know what the supposed like story turn is. Um... I have another friend who's been playing it who said he finally hit that point, but he didn't think it was a bad thing. But I did hit the point in the game where a lot of people start to question what Ellie is doing. So, like I said, I'm going to start spoiling things a little bit, so tune out for like the next 5-10 minutes if you need to. Uh, the Last of Us Part 2 is, at least where I'm at right now, Ellie's revenge story because within the first three hours of the game, you a group comes along and kills Joel. Joel that's what I I could guess that. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's what I don't understand. Like people are upset that Joel died. I'm like, there. Like I was a little surprised that it happened so early in the game, but the minute, like the second they announced Last of Us Part Two, I'm like, well, Joel's dead. <laughs> yeah, because they say you're playing Ellie, and I'm like, if they're not gonna make me play Joel, like he's probably dead. And and, and when you were alluding to like. A very obvious like spoiler that it's, people were upset with. I'm like Joel dies. Like immediately in my head, I'm like Joel dies. Like 
sorry, that's not a. It's a spoiler, but not really because it's an obvious one. Right. So. So anyway, what happens is is you're with uh, Joel's with his brother Tommy, and then Ellie shows up like right before he dies. So like the last thing Joel sees is Ellie, and they just knock Tommy and Ellie out. So then Ellie goes with her new girlfriend out into Seattle, which is where they believe these this group is from. There's like eight or ten of them, but they're part of a much bigger group in Seattle. But uh, so basically, it's just a revenge tour. Like she is in Seattle to kill these people, like these specific ten people, and anybody else who gets in her way. And a couple of them have been dying. And the part I finally hit, she's after one of the one of the girls, and Ellie is immune to the virus. And she knocks this girl into, like, her people are, like, shooting at Ellie. So she, like, grabs this girl because she's been chasing her around the hospital and, like, knocks her into, like, the spore section. So, like, she starts choking on spores and stuff. And then you eventually end up, she tries running away again. And then Ellie comes around to her and she's like, you're not choking. Oh, my God, you're her. And what people, if you've never played The Last of Us, what's awesome about The Last of Us, in the the first game ends where Ellie was going to go under surgery to create a cure for the, for the disease that's taking over everybody. And Joel finds out that it may or may not make a cure, but regardless, it will kill Ellie. So Joel takes her out of there, kills everybody and takes her and lies to her. But as you find out right after this, because the game, usually you'll play a section of the game and then there's a flashback. Section of the game and a flashback. Because there's four years between the end of the first game and the main part of this game. Yeah. So you're having flashbacks between that four years. And it flashes back two years back. And you find out that Ellie does find out that Joel did in fact lie to her about that. So it's just, that was like a real... Like, it was an awesome moment for somebody like me, though, who was paying attention to the finer details when that girl was like, oh, my God, that's her. You're her. Where I was like, oh, my God, clearly she knows. Because that's when she got mad and started beating her with a pipe. <laughs> and, and a lot... No, that scene was in the um, in the previews, in the trailers. Yeah, but what, 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 what I, I'm failing to understand here, and maybe because it's going for a more realistic feel or grounded feel. But people are just, especially at this scene, people are like, man, I don't know. She's just so revenge and hateful. And this game is so violent. I'm like, have you like, people are praising doom and doom eternal doom eternal from what I've seen is way more violent than what this game has shown me so far. Like, I don't, maybe I'm jaded. That's completely possible. But there's just been nothing in this game that's happened so far that I've been like, oh my god, I can't watch this. And I mean, maybe it gets to that point, but so far, that's something like I, I want to talk so about. So far, a I just I'm not there. <laughs> because like, as someone that creates like, like I'm creating a story my of my own and stuff like that. There's this constant worry because of the the culture we have right now that I have to make a character a main character that's intrinsically good. Like, but in my mind, I'm like, that's not true. The main character, humans are flawed. Like, that's just the way it is. Like, you can't control, you can't have this paragon of virtue 
as the main character. I mean, you can have it so people can live up to it, but they'll never meet it because they're not real people. So when you have people like Ellie, they get angry when pretty much her father figure dies in front of her. And there's nothing else in the world but that revenge. She's going to get a little violent. Like... it's it's just the way the world's already ended like she can't just go back to her job and do whatever like she's like this is all that i have and you took it from me so now i'm gonna take everything from you and ellie grew up killing people like that was it's it's not foreign to her especially in a post-apocalyptic world like she has to be wary of other people and she didn't have the luxury of growing up like us with the same moral compass of not hurting other people because she had to hurt people in order to live. So all of that seems perfectly fine to me. I mean, in, in every post-apocalyptic world, especially ones with things like zombies and stuff like that, or like viruses and stuff, there's people go crazy. Like people are bloodthirsty, just like in nature. I see it all the time, especially with like anonymity put in when there's no consequence besides someone personal, like, vengeance people can get as violent as they want i've i've noticed like with anonymity and the ability to get get away with it people can do some pretty messed up things so i'm not surprised that ellie this this person that people saw as a kid and like they pretty much grew up with her uh i guess they would be disappointed or maybe even horrified but i i don't see it being surprising <laughs> at least in my opinion like the, the game's not colorful and happy-go-lucky. And I believe even the brightest parts of the first game were only bright because of how bleak the rest of it was. I mean, Joel's daughter dies in, like, the first ten minutes of the game. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, <laughs> I don't get where these people, like, get off. They're just thinking, like, Ellie should be, like, this this angel. When really, like, she's not. <laughs> That's what makes her great, too. She's not an angel. The only other thing I can think of, and I'm not sure. I I know I had this conversation with Matt and Derek, and I don't know if I had this conversation last week on the podcast. The only other thing I can get at with this is the original Last of Us, there was no expectation. Like, that game came out and was like a generational game. Surprise. Yeah. But The Last of Us Part Two has some baggage. So, you know, fair or not fair... I can't understand if it's not living up to people's expectations. I can understand being a little bummed out by that. But again, I just, I haven't seen it so far. Like, it, I definitely, so far, I don't think it's as good of a story as the first game. But I don't think this is a bad story by any stretch of imagination. And I still need to play a ton of it. I'm 10 hours in. It takes some people 30 hours to beat this game. So yeah, people forget that the only two sequels that are probably, like better than the original are probably Captain America Winter Soldier and Spider-Man 2 and that's it like I can't think of any other like sequels to like video games or movies besides maybe Halo 2 that just surpass the original in anything because it has that baggage and it has to overcome that expectation and it's very rare to do so because you don't know what people want do they want more of the same old but then you start getting the, the backlash about being too same old you didn't do anything people want it to be more original and then if you go too original people are like i don't like this this isn't what i like the first game about it people just suck like trying to trying to like pander to every audience's needs is you're just never gonna get it anyway moving on 
I also I played Dungeon Defenders 2 only for five minutes this week. And I put this on here because I did want to talk about... I think I'm going to look into buying Dungeon Defenders Awakened, which is the next one coming out. Uh, so here's the problem I hit with Dungeon Defenders 2. Dungeon Defenders 2 is trying to, tried to treat itself like a big online game. So even though Dungeon Defenders 1 and Dungeon Defender Awakened are 1-4 to four player games, they're more story structure based as were this game this other dungeon defenders 2 tried to have an end game unfortunately by having an end game that meant the story was super short so i played through the story partly by myself and partly with mike and that was awesome because we could do it just us but once i hit the end game i went on to play the other day by myself what i found is you can play by yourself unless anybody else is happened happens to be looking to play exactly what you're doing then you have to play in a group they're outside of the story missions which are literally there's like seven of them you can't just play by yourself which Uh. is kind of gross and disgusting and i would rather it kind of sucks because i love the way it's set up i like the way that it feels like a big kind of mmo typey game but i just i would rather just have a normal story game than something like that yeah I, i i agree it that's another thing that, like I just talked about, if people, if folks want the same old, same old, or they want something a little different, like it, it, it varies, and it's hard to pin down for game developers. So I really feel for them. Okay, and let me make sure I got the name of this next game right. Yes. So I've been playing Hyperspace. I've heard about this. Is this right? Hyperscape, maybe? Oh, man. Really not doing well here. BR. Hyper, okay, Hyperscape, excuse me. Uh, Hyperscape is Ubisoft's uh, foray into the Battle Royale genre. It went into a test mode, that, and they did it the same way Valorant did it, where you had to watch streamers to get a code. Uh, luckily, they seem to be a lot more liberal with their I've codes. I've this. That, yeah. Yes. Uh, so Hyperscape is a first-person um, Battle Royale. And what I like about this is it's a lot more arena feeling. It's very quick. Yeah. It's very fast. It's more... Platformy. It, it's a Quake. It's like Quake or... Um, oh my gosh. Unreal Tournament. Thank you. Um, Unreal Tournament style game. And yes, it's very vertical. Like they want you jumping. They want you moving. There's jump pads to launch you higher. There's teleports which reset your jump. And it's absolutely crazy. And what else I like about it, it has a slightly higher time to kill. So you're like actually fighting people. Yeah. Um, they don't do it. There are battle royales, not, not your super popular battle royales, I'll say, because I think I've played most of the super popular ones, but, um, there have been smaller battle royales and the way this game works is you're on a hex grid and certain zone, like certain hexes on the grid will close. So kind of hunger gamesy almost where they had like yeah. different areas that would close as opposed to like a circle slowly shrinking down to one space. That's cool. So that's kind of neat. It keeps you moving. Um, and when it comes down, what Hyperscape is like this virtual world that people like jack into, and it's like a sport that they're playing almost. So like the world's just like, it basically just like despawns and you start taking damage like you would in a normal storm. So you have to keep moving. But like the buildings and ammo all respawn. So like there's nothing to do there. It's not like some battle royales where you can hide outside the circle and like heal yourself through it and hope for the best kind of thing. Like, that doesn't work in this game. 
another neat thing that they do again because they want it to be so fast paced and action uh what the main game mode is actually called is crown royale and what happens is in the last circle a crown spawns and the two ways you can win the game is to obviously be the last team standing or capture the crown and hold it for 45 seconds uh if you die you drop the crown and when you pick it back up the 45 second timer restarts but that's just kind of nice because it keeps people moving after each other and i actually won one game i've won one game i've only i only played for a day i probably got about six seven games in i would say maybe eight um we won one game it was me robert and colin and what happened was is there was this like this building that it was closing in on and I picked up the crown and I just started running around and because everybody was like oh they need to kill me the other teams were like grouping up into small groups and they've said they're going to nerf this there's a grenade launcher in the game that just does a stupid amount of damage and Colin just sat there and like I was rounding them up by running around in circles trying to (laughs) dodge them and Colin just like unloaded grenades on him he had like seven kills that game it was awesome but I'm really enjoying this because I'd I'd kind of been getting the itch for Fortnite to play Fortnite again, but I think I was just more itching for a battle royale because yeah. nothing's really been scratching that itch lately. I think this is great for me because I like I like that it's faster pace and I like that the time to kill is a little higher. Gives you something to do. Uh, the other thing I like about this game is I didn't really care for the Call of Duty battle royale all that much because there was just too many ways to come back to life. Like, and it was 150 players, so, like, you had to, like, it was almost like you had to win, like, five games in one to win a game. And I never actually won a game in that game, partly because I'm bad at it, but partly I just, I didn't enjoy it, and that was part of the reason I was bad at it. This game, what's really cool is when you're dead, you can actually still walk around. Yeah. So, like, you can give your your teammates intel. You can see other players on the map and all that. There is no mini-map. There's a map that you can go into, but you actually have to, like, stop and like press the map button so like when you're dead you can give your teammates intel and there's different like random points that you can go walk to and like set yourself in and then your teammate can go there and res you so i yeah, kind of like yeah, the, I, noticed that. I like the way that's handled because there's only so many points those points on the map so unlike unlike um call of duty where you can keep buying the thing to just res people over and over and over again if you have the money eventually you run out of stuff in this game like you can't just keep doing that i just like the faster like i said i like the faster pace and i know a lot of people liked the slower pace of the call of duty game but that just wasn't me i didn't and i also one thing i like about this game in fortnite 2 and even apex is better at it than call of duty is everything's just very visually clear like the thing i hated about call of duty is you'd be walking through like a city and you'd get sniped from like five stories up and i'd be like i didn't see that guy cool yeah, I do like the glint system in that game, but I do believe that if you're squatting up and if you're a streamer, I think Warzone is a perfect game. Because if you die in that game, and there's like you said, there's so many ways of coming back. It's actually super boring if you're a streamer and you, you die in your friend's team. And... Um, and uh, just... You just sit around. And just watch other people play, and I'm like, oh, you don't, you don't subscribe to me just to watch other people play. Like it's crazy. So I watched Hyperscape, and it looked really fun. I, I, I love battle royales, but I wanted to get away from the whole, uh, the, the building aspect because I was bad at it. Uh, 
of Fortnite. And if Fortnite was just like no building, like it, obviously you can't do that because it's built around building. Uh, I would enjoy Battle Royales more, but I don't want something that's so intensive as like Call of Duty where like I could just be sniped from halfway across the map and there's no playback for that. So, uh, yeah, I'll check this out. I, I, I need to look at someone streaming it though. Yeah, so. I think you should. I believe the first test ended today, but the, it sounds like this is a game they want to have out pretty quick. So I would expect it soon. They said it's going to come summer. So it's got to be this month or next month. Uh, two other things I wanted to touch on with this game real quick is uh, you said streaming. So there's some streaming integrations with this game. If there's no streamer in your game, the game will just hand them, handle it randomly. But if there's a streamer in your game and they're streaming on Twitch, their viewers can vote on special effects that will affect the arena. So oh, there's good. things like low grav, um, more healing, infinite ammo. There's stuff like that. And if there's a streamer in the game, that stuff can be voted on by the viewers of that streamer. And if not, the game will just randomly handle it like another thing. And then the other thing I just wanted to touch on real quick that I really like. So you can carry two guns and then two what they call hacks or abilities. And what I love about the upgrading system in this game, they call it fusing, is when to upgrade your gun, you can upgrade a gun or a hack five times. To upgrade it, you just find another copy of it out in the world and you fuse. So that's how you upgrade your stuff. And I really, I think that's a really unique way to handle it because what that does especially in those first couple fights what it at least ensures like you might not get a good gun but like your gun is like a similar quality to other people around you like unless you, they, you just get like super unlucky i mean <laughs> the first game i played not that it did me any good because it was the first game and i had no idea what i was doing i knocked open a crate and i got the hex fire which is the mini gun which got nerfed today thankfully um because it was the best gun in the game hands down but i knocked open a crate and got a rank five mini gun right off the bat so there are still crates where you can get things ridiculously like that but it's not as common right away so it's kind of nice to have that even playing field when the game starts yeah and then finally uh diablo season 23 season diablo 3 season 21 started so i started up myself a demon hunter uh not much to say about diablo 3 i just this is the where i was talking about where i i've grown an appreciation for games that let you finish what you need to do with them, set them aside, and come back when there's more stuff to do. And yeah. uh, I, I hope Hyperscape kind of falls into this, because I believe Battle Royales and their Battle Passes can allow for this, but like especially Fortnite, like you had to play a lot to get done. Like A lot of times you wouldn't get done until like maybe like two or three weeks before a season, if you're as good as I was and played how I did. Um, so that was kind of like that, but like, I, I hope hyperscape kind of follows this. I don't know. I, I was really turned on to this, like train of thought by path of Ex the path of exile team. Cause that's how they built the game. And I, I, I hope more developers go this route. Cause I like a lot of these like live services games, I want to play them, but you can only play so many of them. So like, let me put my heart and soul into them for like two, three weeks, get what I want out of it. And then be done for a couple months. I'll be back. If it's good, I'll be back. And Diablo 3 <laughs> is one of those games where like, I'm I'm happy coming back to. I usually try to get myself to a greater Rift 100, and then I'm happy. Yeah, like we all know how Seth loves Path of Exile. He hasn't played the past few uh, releases, though. Like the, They're not seasons. I don't remember what they're called. 
it might be seasons. I don't know. Uh, leagues. Uh, and usually he sets t uh, time aside to go and play the recent one to see the updates and stuff like that. And he's optimistic at first. Uh, he hasn't been enjoying the recent ones because of the way they've been balancing the game. But it's a game where you could just you can always go back it back to it like risk free. I kind of wish a lot. Yeah, I do wish a lot of games to do that where it's like. I don't know, because then there's also that awful catch-up mechanic that you could have. Like, World of Warcraft is a game, definitely, you could just go in and play it and catch up really quickly. But even then, if on a game that's based on progression, it feels really awful if you could just get to right where everyone else is really quickly. But I think World of Warcraft just has a separate problem. Like, games like that, like, the power scaling in WoW is just ridiculous. Why does the power scaling have to be crazy? Like, if you look at classic WoW, there are items in Molten Core that are best in slot through um, through Naxxramas. Like, why does the scaling in Modern WoW have to be so crazy? Like, why can't something from the first couple raids be the best or be, you know, at least good? Like, why, why does the power difference have to be so ridiculous? You know, like, reward skill. Like, make it that if I am a better player, even though I might be a tier behind, I can still compete on a current tier kind of thing. I think that's yeah, how they could solve that issue in th those specific kind of games. Just don't make the power scaling so ridiculous. Don't make it. I get you want. I get. I get you want people to keep playing and play play the same thing. But make it so if I have to skip a tier, I can come back and not be useless if I'm good. Because you know the reward for those people that are playing the entire time should be if they're just as good as me and they kept playing and do have like the ten item levels higher than I have now. They're going to still do more damage, but that you can do that without making it like the item level is so different that if a bad player happens to have better gear than me, like there's, they're going to do better than me just because the numbers are so inflated. Yeah. Yeah. They need to, they need to introduce exclusivity instead of like, uh, what's it called? Like instead of balancing everything, like. A shaman's best in slot should not be the same as like three other classes. And if you make a, a weapon good enough, they're going to use it to the next, uh, to the next tier, I suppose. And I think the way they did that was, I think Eternal, the Eternal Palace still has a trinket off Lady Ashvane that everyone uses at its max level, and it's the best in slot for every like melee DPS class, more or less, and. It, that's how you know if you have a bunch of those items in the game that have like really cool effects that it's powerful because of its effect not because of the stats attached to it you're going to come back and you're going to use it and it's going to last a lot longer and the only way to surpass that instead of giving them a huge stat stick is to create a cooler item which is fine which is what we want anyways like let me get rid of this thing if you give me something that's better but don't take the fun away from it. In the in the in the meantime, don't take away the uniqueness. Replace it with a different uniqueness, in order to like, not only upgrade me, on the physical sense, but in like a sense of progression as well, like in in a sense of feeling and gameplay. I want to feel like what I got was an upgrade, because I have more fun playing it, and it's better. So, I get what you mean. I would totally be down with seasonal WoW servers. Like, maybe you could do six-month seasons. Make them That'd be pretty longer. awesome. That'd be fun. They, they could play around with that a little more, but 
I, I don't know the I don't know what the wild team is doing right now. So let let let's just hope for. I mean, I don't Shadow think Link they know what they're doing either. I was about to say like they're probably getting yelled at by Ian Hazakasas a lot. <laughs> I, let's just say that Battle for Azeroth was the lame duck that always comes in between uh, uh, good expansions, and then just talk it up to that. And Shadowlands is gonna be amazing. It's gonna come out with those what are they called uh, tour guests. Or what were they? Yeah, called? the Tower of the Damned or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That I want that. Please and thank you. And then we'll, we'll see where we go from there. That's just patch one, I believe. So we still got a lot of stuff to do. When is... maybe the maybe the last expansion of the game will start to have seasons. Think about that. When is that event? July eighth, tomorrow. There's a live stream reveal about sh- doing some Shadowlands stuff. It's at eleven o'clock central in the morning, so I, I I'm assuming if it's still coming this year, we probably get a date tomorrow. Excellent. Uh, also, Alatrion, the new Monster Hunter comes out. Uh, the new Monster Hunter monster comes out tomorrow. Could be a big day for you, Jordan. Also, a really big deal. So, <laughs> we'll have to see. All right. We are going to wrap up there. It has been a big show. As a reminder, we are now powered and um, broadcasted to the world through Anchor, which also means we are available on the following five platforms. You can, of course, put us into your RSS feed. We are available on Spotify, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, and Breaker. Brotaku, Men of Culture, Games Weekly. Typically, we'll post Tuesday mornings. We're going to be posting Wednesday morning this week since we had to record on Tuesday. But typically, we try to record on Mondays and get posted on Tuesdays. I try to get the show live about 6 a.m. for your ear holes to enjoy. Anyway, until next week, we will see you guys later. Goodbye. Bye.